This is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Brian Chippendale, whose new book, uh, is it out in stores? It should be out in stores soon, if not already. If an oof, and uh, also available the uh, ranging in size in all directions and ways, Maggots and Ninjas, as well as Galacticrap 2 and Paper Rodeo. And probably other stuff I'm forgetting. Sound right? Yeah. I think that's. I think you got most of it. Yeah. You're in uh, in the SPX 2005, and I dragged out my non-number five, and you got a story yeah. in there. So. I had a good. I had a big pile of pages not in that non-number five. I think like 25 pages. It was a. It was a good sized story. It was. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I read it. It was like. Yeah, uh, yeah, that story. That was a tough one. There's actually 60 pages of that story, and it probably makes less sense than the 25 did. <laughs> did uh, did Jordan it, just like it, hack it and just say I'm taking this part, or? No, I think I just hadn't got. I think it was in the middle of it when I when that happened. So, and the funny one was in the first quarter of it because I I am now in the middle of it, and that was I don't know how many years ago. So it's it's an unfinished tale. Okay. And yeah, so that that um those pages they make their own kind of sense, but I don't think they um they don't they, tell a full. They they haven't they they kind of have an ending to it when they go. It does have an ending to it. Yeah, it kind of explodes. Yeah, I was just looking at it yesterday because I've been kind of going through my stuff, and I pulled that out, which is such a weird object. And um, I was looking at my story, and I was like, yeah, it does kind of end. It's like a dog flying through this kind of weird space. That's how it ends. <laughs> how all things should end. <laughs> That's how all things should end. Why don't I get a little background on your comics? Because I have a feeling you you've been reading comics since you were a young and eh? You're you're a Marvel kid. Yeah, Marvel kid. And I've been kind. I've been barely thinking about this because I have to do like a slide lecture next week. I mean, I, I actually have to do one Sunday, so. I should really be working on it, but um, and I am. I'm very far along, and uh, it's going great, Dan. <laughs> you know, so have no fear. Um, but I, yeah, I, I my the first comic, you know, aside from Sunday comics and stuff like that, which I was definitely into, but not deeply into. My, I think the first comic I ever read was Daredevil, You Shot Vulture, and it was by David Mazzucchelli, and I think it was like issue two twenty five. And I bought it. That was like yeah, right before the the Miller run. Yeah, right before I I land I like started reading that stuff as a kid. Right when Miller, I think Miller like might have even co-written two twenty five. It was like Denny O'Neill, Dennis O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I know uh, the one you're talking about. That and that it's funny because like I think I I wandered in as however I think that was eighty. 81, 80, 81, 82, I'm not sure, early 80s. It would have been and, a little uh, later than that. It would have probably been... Was it little? Was it like 85? It would have been 85, 80, 80 45 maybe? I don't know. I've okay. got it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, it wasn't that early. I was yeah. born in 73, so I, I definitely wasn't reading like Frank Miller at age 8 or whatever. I was, it was probably late, later 80s. Yeah. I don't know why I was reading 80 so early in the 80s. But anyway, I mean, I... I, yeah, so I stumbled into comics. I remember that issue, and I remember 
kind of instantly getting a subscription to G.I. Joe, and I think it started with issue 10 or something, and it had, like, Snake Eyes and Scarlet running, and it said, Welcome to Springfield, a nice little town. It's, like, the coolest cover. Kind of like a fake... It's like a... You know, there's, like, a Cobra guy hiding behind, like, a fake house. Snake Eyes and Scarlet are running down the... I don't know, running through the front yard or something. So that's when I landed in comics. And, I mean, it, you know, the funny... The, the thing about that is that those, those Daredevil issues are... They're sort of the best, some of the best comics I've ever read to this day. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Miller takes over, and even even those the, the Mazzucchelli issues that before Miller took over, they were just like some of the Mr. Neal issues were just amazing. Yeah, well, I'm a I'm a Batman kid, so I've got a soft spot for O'Neill. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, which I haven't read his. I mean, I I, I there's I never read that much Batman, and I haven't read. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's amazing like I don't see there's no reason for me like Gene Cullen was over there for a while and and all kinds of people but I just never went there if you're to read it the one story I would recommend out of them all is like the Ras Al Ghul stuff that stuff's amazing okay where they they just fucking him and uh, Neil Adams just kind of connect on some psychic level or something and just do this like great comic I don't know if I'm just so it's Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that they were teaming up. I can only imagine that would be amazing. Well, they did the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Yeah. Oh, with, right, they did. With the, with the yeah. famous, you know, you help with the green skins, but what about the brown skins? Or it's the blue skins, but what about the brown skins? Wait, what? There's a... <laughs> sorry, there's this scene in the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow comic where... Uh, um, this guy walks up to Green Lantern and says, You help out the blue skins. But what about the brown skins? Oh wow! Right. Yeah, it's one of those touching moments of uh, yeah terrible writing. Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, but still, but Dennis O'Neill was so good though. Yeah. Definitely was doing something right, despite maybe being a little confused about some some characterizations here and there. Yeah, I mean it was it was at the time that was when they made Speedy yeah. Junkie and that kind of thing. So. Yeah. So from there, did you just kind of jump full hog right into comics? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I um, as a kid, I would I started getting subscriptions. I got a subscription to Daredevil, and I got a subscription to GI Joe, and and then you know it was very it wasn't very long before I realized that there was a comic book store nearby that they got the issues before my subscriptions even came in the mail. So I ended up ditching the subscriptions and became one of these kids that like every Saturday I had this. I, I don't know, I think it might have started in 8th or ninth grade, but me and my best friend, we lived outside of Philadelphia, so we would, on Saturdays, we were taking figure drawing classes downtown, um, one of the colleges, starting, I think, in 8th grade, so we would go down there, draw in the morning, figures for three hours, and then come back and go to this comic book store where the guy would pay us in pizza to um, just sit in the basement and, like, organize stuff. And we were just thrilled. You know, we had no idea that we were being, you know, our, our label was being abused <laughs> or something. So, so we were just hanging out at the comic book store for hours. And so that was my, that was, yeah, my introduction to comics you know, as a form, really. And then I think probably, I mean, I know seventh and eighth grade is when I sort of started 
I was drawing comics in sixth grade, though. I don't know. I, it's weird. I was now I was drawing comics before I got into Marvel comics. That was, was when you like started nin- doing the ninja stuff, right? Yeah, like the ninja stuff was pre pre Marvel comics, and maybe that was just you know Ziggy influence. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> ninja Ziggy. <laughs> ninja Ziggy. Yeah. Ah, maybe God, maybe I know. I must have been reading G.I. Joe in fifth or sixth grade because I was definitely drawing. Like Ninja was definitely directly influenced by G.I. Joe. Because mm-hmm. I think there were there were like these two brothers, like Max and Zaymot or something. And in Ninja, I think I had two brothers as well. Like I was really like G.I. Joe was a huge influence on Ninja. It was that one issue, the silent issue. Oh my god. Yeah. Fantastic. Again, like that, yeah, that was a huge if not influence, just inspiration. That was one of the best again, one of the best comics ever made. Larry Hama. Mm-hmm. That was uh, writing and I think that issue was actually Larry Hama, Larry Hama writing and drawing. He drew that issue as and well. And I had I had no idea about that till Frank pointed that out and that kinda blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. And you're just like, this issue's amazing, and Larry Hammond drew it, and that's the only issue he ever drew of G.I. Joe. He did draw a few issues of Daredevil, I think, too. Really? Yeah, I think just before issue 200. Like, after Frank Miller left, after Klaus Klaus Jansen left, I think Larry Hammond drew a couple issues in Japan. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's just interesting. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, but in Ninja, there was something about GI Joe where they would like I think I said this somewhere before, but they would blow like there would be some base and they would blow it up or something in GI Joe and then like 20 issues later they'd revisited it or something like you'd you'd see them like hanging around in a place where they'd had a, a battle before. I don't remember what this even I think it might be even a specific incident, but I was so excited about the idea that in the G.I. Joe world, like, things would happen and then they would stay. It wasn't like Garfield and all those other things where, you know, it was like every week it was just sort of started from scratch. I was just like, oh my god, the, like, a year and a half later, like, that place is still blown up. Like, it really happened. So for Ninja, it's so barely there, but there would be, like, a base and the base gets blown up, and then you'd go back there and it would still be blown up. And that was like a... That was just a huge... That had a big impact on me. I don't know why. And, and the character was building his loot supply? Yeah. Like, things moved on. I think, you know, it separates, like, kind of a lot of Sunday comics from all the rest of, like, you know, superhero comics and stuff like that. It Like, those worlds build to some extent. You know, of course, then they relaunch and revamp. But they build. And then, um, you know versus a lot of comics, like gag comics, strip comics, where you don't really get the feeling that there's any kind of forward momentum. Or if there is, it's so painstakingly slow that you can't remember it at all. So. Did After you did the ninja stuff, um, when you're however old, d- did you keep doing your own comics, or did you I kind did. of stop for a while? I did. So I think the first stuff was ninja. There was ninja and there's these superheroes. I did like maybe like Ten or maybe five or six episodes of these superheroes, um, which have not not been not come back out yet. They'll they'll come for sure. 
And then I did, I had a, like a couple of those black, those kind of black bound sketchbooks that are just these really simple black squared off books that people, I don't know, they have just blank white pages. Mm-hmm. I had two of them filled with comics, which I think was like, again, like maybe eighth, maybe going, I think maybe after Ninja, it was like eighth, ninth grade, maybe in the 10th grade. And I had this character named Scrub, and he had a turtle named Trash Can, and they would like wander around the sewers. So there was that. I had a hamster character. So I, I did. I branched out and had all these other kind of more funnier characters. And then in 10th or 11th or 12th grade, like me and my best friend, this guy David Wilson, um, we did like a whole issue of this comic that took place in our high school where um, I think like he, they, they were like exploring these tunnels because we'd found this tunnel underneath of our high school which was, you know, I think it was basically just where all the electrical wiring was, but we, like, figured out a place, a couple places where we could get down into it, and so we were, we would, like, run off at some point during school and, like, go in this probably super dangerous electrical <laughs> tunnel and, like, run around. <laughs> and then we did a comic, we did a comic where, you know, there was, there might have been Nazis or something, or satan, like, satanic worshippers, but anyway, there's this, like, bad stuff happening in these tunnels. So we did a full comic, um, about that I think I was penciling it and he was inking it so that was like in high school um and then I went to college and of course like it was immediately not interested in comics at all I had more <laughs> I had much more lofty important things to do and you, like you went to the Rhode Island School of Design right yeah I went to, I went to Rhode Island School of Design the RISD RISD where freshman year I was encouraged, probably encouraged, or embarrassed enough to stop drawing comics and start making, like, cardboard violins or something, or, uh, you know, what else do you do in freshman year? Like, uh, paint, like, pile up different sized cubes and paint them slightly varying colors or something. So you were, you know, did you have, what was your particular interest when you went to art school? Like, did you have uh, a medium that was, like, you wanted to work in? Well, my, I mean, my interest all, you know, comics aside, my interest had always been um, figure drawing and drawing in general. Mm-hmm. I almost went to school for, I also had a weird side, I, it was a big interest. I was really into ceramics, like I was really into throwing pottery. Yeah. Like all, all through school, high school, I threw, I did a lot of ceramic stuff. Like I remember faking, somehow I got like a bunch of slips from the psychiatrist like the school psychiatrist so I would like make fake appointments for the psychiatrist and go to the art room and you know throw pots while I was supposed to be in math class or something which maybe I should have seen the psychiatrist about that very soon <laughs> <laughs> I was just so excited about throwing pots so I, I applied to three schools I applied to Rhode Island School of Design I applied to Alfred University which was way more of a ceramic school and out in the middle of nowhere in New York, upstate New York. And I applied to um, Baltimore Institute College of Art or whatever that school's called. That's a weird name. I think Baltimore Institute College of Art. I don't know. But I applied to those three schools and I got into RISD. And actually, literally, like, I went I went and visited RISD once. I don't know. Is this what I'm supposed to do? Just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, sit back. Here we go. Um, um, I went to 
I went and visited RISD. I got accepted. I went and visited, and I thought it kind of sucked, I remember. And then I came back to Providence, and I had a friend at Providence, and he, he I think he got accepted into RISD, too, and he was just like, we got to go to RISD. We have to go to RISD. So then I went back, and I visited again, and the second time I kind of liked it. Maybe I'd been influenced by him, you know, his enthusiasm for it. But I also think I sat in on a class, and I was kind of inspired by it. So I was just like, all right, I'm going. And then suddenly my friend decided, he was just like, no, I'm not going to go. So the, the kid that got me, yeah, the kid that got me kind of excited about it, like ditched at the last minute. But, so, you know, so I, I picked Rizzi, and I, I'm pretty happy about the decision. Now, was so that, was Masicelli a teacher there at that point? Did you know that? He was not. He was He was not. I think he showed up later. Okay. I read somewhere on some blog that I was in his class, like <laughs> me and Brinkman and some other people were all in, in <laughs> Magic Kelly's class at Rizzi. <laughs> but that was another just sort of fabrication. Some That's a, apocryphal information. Yeah. Classic internet style. Yeah. Debunked. <laughs> When did you yeah. uh, want to get back into comics? Was that while you were there, or was it something that you looked at after you had left? Um, I think it was after I left. I I kind of I stopped reading comics when I went to college. You know, mostly financial reasons. Like I was just broke. Um, and then. I got, I think I might have gotten back into the drawing of comics. Oh yeah, you know when I got back into drawing comics in, so when I, when I went to school, I was keeping sketchbooks, and I wasn't drawing comics in them, I was just drawing, you know, like figures, and, but they were, every once in a while I'd do like a couple panels or something, so I was still vaguely interested, but I was just into kind of drawing whatever. And then I took a year off from school, in 93, or I thought I'd left school forever, but I took a year off. After two years of school, um, I took a year off, and I went on this road trip, and all I had was, I had this one sketchbook, and I had like a epigraph pen, and then at some point, I think in 93 or so, in that year off, I committed, I was just like, well, I kind of want to start drawing comics again, but every time I try to write a story, I get stumped, so I'm just going to start like drawing panels mm -hmm. and not worry about it. So it was like when I took a year off from school is when I kind of got back into drawing comics again. And that was like the first Maggots book. That's the Is that the book that uh, that Picturebox put out? It is not the book that Picturebox okay. put out. There's actually two... Picturebox put out what I would call the 
third. That's the third. I think maybe the third Maggots book or the fourth one. I did a. It's like 150 pages of eight and a half by eleven. The first book, I think it's about 150 pages, and it's where like I kind of started doing this sneaky panel stuff, and that was just me. Um, just yeah, just drawing like I had no idea what was going on. It was just like it's just basically this guy moving through this black space, and then um, and that was that was the first thing, which I hope, and then that became the mini comics that I made maggot mini comics like oh, okay. in ninety six and ninety seven, and that was taken from the first book. Um, it's just, you know, it's yeah. Just, uh, slightly confusing chronology. But. <laughs> well, I, so, yeah, I, I did this. I think it's a lot of information. First, yeah, oh, sorry. here we go, cell phone <laughs> style. You talk and I talk together on, on three. One, two, three. Let's, <laughs> All right. Blah, 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 blah. I was going to say, like, I think it's a lot of information that folks don't really have any idea about. And I don't have an idea about, like, what the background is in this work, so, so I'm really curious about yeah. it. I was looking, I mean, the sketchbook before, like, basically this one sketchbook, I was just like, I'm going to commit to filling every corner of this thing with panels, and they're going to snake back and forth. So I had kind of started in the middle of this this one 8.5 by 11 book, and it was actually like an old, I'd found it in a, like, there used to be a ton of abandoned buildings around Providence, so freshman year, we would just wander around and go into all these things, and in one of them, I found these. I don't know what he, they're just like record books and it's I think from the 40s or 50s or maybe even the 20s or 30s but it, I found like five of them or six of them or seven of them or something you know and the, I had a sketchbook where I was using that and in that sketchbook and this was probably like 92 I started just doing a few comic book things like a few like a one page where there'd be like nine panels where I tried to draw a comic and then in the next one this second sketchbook on this, these books I'd found, I committed to doing this. Just like, I'm going to fill the whole thing with these panels. So I'd start in the middle, I went to the end, I went to the beginning, and I filled it back to the middle again. And then, like, somewhere <laughs> in the middle, I, like, taped in an extra page. So there's, like, this three-page fold-out in the middle. But it's still, it's not because there's a big drawing on it. It's still just, like, a little panel. But What was the attraction so to doing that. little panels? Like, it seems kind of maddening to me. Yeah, I, it was um, it was just the only like I just had these issues. I couldn't. I wanted to start drawing comics. I couldn't do it, and it was just the solution I came up with. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I can do this. Like, I think it has to do. I mean, I think as as an artist, I've really been like, well, I I I drew all that with a the rapidograph pen. I think I was using like the point five, which I don't know what if that's a universal sizing or whatever, but it's a small point. And it was just the scale at which I could draw with my attention span and do some sort of narrative or something. So I could, like, probably draw for, like, an hour with this, like, small pen and, you know, do a couple, like, back-and-forth lines. And it was just the pen I had. Like, if I had, like, a fatter pen, I probably would have drawn bigger panels. Mm-hmm. But I've always been limited, and I think it's good, and I also think it can be bad. Like, I think when I get into fine art, sometimes I have a hard time kind of scaling up because I get so attached to smaller tools. Yeah. Um, and I 
you know, like certain artists, like I think Ben Jones is an example of someone, and you probably have seen a lot of his fine art, where mm-hmm. he just can scale up really easily. He can use all sorts of tools, like he can use a huge paintbrush. and It's all very blocky just, and big. and Yeah, but, but he can do small, too. He just, like, scales up his tool and can kind of use, have the same kind of control with all these different tools. Like Jim but Woodring? I've always, I, yeah. Yeah, right, like Jim Woodring. <laughs> and it's yeah, giant he can nip. build a... Um, city-sized, like, skyscraper-sized pen, and he can still draw perfect Frank, you know, and he can get people to raise money to do it. What a ma- He's a magician. <laughs> he is. He is. A magician's a good, a good way of putting it. Yeah. So, but I have been, I've always, I, maybe it's even that I just get attached, like I'm, I'm like using a certain kind of pen, and I'm just like, well, I could get a bigger pen, but then this pen would sit here it would be so lonely. Like, it was, <laughs> like I, I, I get like attached to the tools. Well, maybe I was also so broke for a while that it was just like those damn rapidographs cost like fifteen dollars. So, a, I'm not going to stop using it because I invested so much in it. And then, b, like, how would I buy some other tool anyway? It's basically just refilling the ink. That's all you got. Yeah, worry I just about. refilled the ink, which I was probably stealing. There we go from the store. So, because we were really into that for a little while too. Your soul. Just, you know, art supplies are just expensive. They are. Had to do what you had to, had to do what you had to do back then. So what? When did you guys all get kind of hooked up into the Fort Thunder thing? Like, was that while you were at RISD or was that after? We, me and Brinkman, both dropped out after two years of RISD. Mm-hmm. Um, he came. I came back the next year because I figured out real life was like way scarier, and my parents weren't wouldn't pay for anything in real life, but they would they would pay for stuff if I went to school. So I just fled back to school. And then he came back to school after another year. So he was out for two years. So then we were both in school for like a year or two after that. And in 95, we got the warehouse that was Fort Thunder. And then I think we were in there for a year simultaneous with school. And then we both, again, dropped out of school again. You know, and kind of because, like, we were into our warehouse, and I don't know, school wasn't quite doing it for us. Was this around the same time you started doing Lightning Bolt, too? Yeah, it was kind of the same time. I started doing Lightning Bolt in 94, so we were practicing, like, when Lightning Bolt first started, we were practicing over at the um, school. And, I mean, I probably even jammed with that bassist, Brian Gibson, the bassist from Lightning Bolt. I think we'd actually jammed in 93. So we played a few times, like, at school, but then in 95, we moved it over. And that's when it, you know, definitely got more serious. We had more time to play, and, um, because, like, in this, where we were playing at RISD, we would have to, like, load our stuff in and load it out every day. So Fort Thunder, suddenly, like, we could just, it was just set up, and we could play all the time. So, at you and Brinkman at first, and how many guys did you end up getting in there? It was a pretty huge was, crew. Right off, the, right off the bat, it was four of us. Um, this guy Rob Coxchill and um, oh my god I'm actually in a dog park I just realized there's this like horror dog <laughs> oh, yeah, there's like this dog doing a really funny dance right over there it's really kind of cute and, like you know it's like I just met another dog happy dance or something the, the, the wagging tail and the sloppy mouth it was weird it was like four limbs shuffling all at the same time it was cute but so Rob Coxchill and this guy named Freddie Jones and I think Freddie Jones lasted like a couple weeks before he realized it was just too far to walk back and forth 
the school mm-hmm. from. So then it was weird. His room was kind of cursed. Like his Freddie moved out, and then that room just had this host of different people that kind of came and went. Um, but then after a year, uh, we we had two thirds of a whole floor of a warehouse, and the other the other side, the one third that was kind of on the back side. Um. It was, I guess, uh, yeah, the back side and kind of the dark side because it had less windows, too. It was kind of dark over there. After a year of being there, the landlord kind of offered that up to somebody else. But he was just like, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm running out that back side, but I'm going to have to make a hallway across your space to get to the fire escape. And it was going like, to, like, cut our space kind of in half, and we'd have to, like, go through all these doors. So we were basically like, ah, we're going to get our own people in there. So we got Jim Drain, Brian Ralph and Paul Lyons all moved into the back. Okay. So by 96, it was, you know, like, Paul Lyons, you know, Jim, me, Matt, and Brian. And then I think Leaf came in shortly after that. Um, I think that's how it works. I guess sometimes I get confused. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe Jim came in sometime after that. But anyway, I remember Jim, I remember being funny because we were, like, looking... I think Jim, the first time I met Jim, which was just not long before he moved in, he, like, came to our house and he, like, smashed some big window. And it was just like, oh, that guy's moving in? Like, the guy that just broke something immediately? (laughs) (laughs) Which definitely was, that that was Jim's style. He's a charmer. He's a charmer. He's a charmer. Now, how was that for you? Because I get the feeling, like, you really vibe off being around a lot of artists or kind of, like... It works into your work. It's, I feel like that reading I, maggots, like where it kind of seeps it, in there. Yeah, I mean, it did. I, it, in a weird way, it probably it's probably in there more now than it was then, or something. Like I, I um, I mean, it it, it was it was complicated <laughs> because <laughs> it, it was uh, it was super inspiring to be around all those guys and like any roommate situation you know there's only one oven there's only four burners or something <laughs> so you know 12 dudes whether they're the most creative guys in the world and and it you know in that aspect of the rules it was still just like jesus christ i, I haven't been able to eat for five hours because like there's been a steady stream of people like using the one spot or i don't know i mean we were you know it was but but as a creative enterprise it I mean, I just took it for granted because I just, it just sort of grew up around me. Um, but like looking back, yeah. And even then, I mean, it, we, we were, we were thrilled. Like it was, like I, I, I mean, I've, I've been doing a few interviews for, this is less of an interview and more of a whatever <laughs> you know, conversation. I know. I, I'm so. not very, uh, I, I don't come with like a list of you know 20 questions I need to ask it's more kind of right let yeah it no flow. that's good that's you come with an understanding <laughs> yes <laughs> let's let's go with that I like that yeah um but it, I mean it was just you know, that I mean that that time like I oh yeah I said somewhere else where I was like back in the back in the fourth Thunder days I had no ambition to be a cartoonist I think I wrote that, or I said that somewhere recently, because I just read that again. I was like, well, it wasn't that I had no ambition, or that any of us had no ambition to be anything, but we actually, 
I think for the bulk of the four Thunder days, like we we just figured we'd like made it. You know, we were just like, oh my god, like we're the we're making the coolest books and the coolest art in the coolest place and the coolest bands play here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't like New York was just this like you know crappy place where people go if they want to spend a lot of money on their rent or something. Like there wasn't like a like art shows and thing, even mainstream comics, or like even like making money, like it all just seemed, it all just seemed like a step downward from where we were in the nineties. You guys kind of felt like you were you were at a point with your art where it was just pure art all the time. Yeah, we we had just made it. <laughs> yeah, we were like there, we had arrived, you know, and then <laughs> and then if, like we, like it just didn't get any better than that. For for us at that, or like for maybe it's just even I you know I can only talk about myself. I know everybody had different issues with different stuff, but I was just like this this is the best thing that any like that we could be doing right now, and it just doesn't get any better. And like you know being published like that no like who cares what like I'm you know I'm showing my comics to like my ten friends like wh- why would I want to get published <laughs> like who, who else like what there's other people out there in the world. They they don't care. They don't like they're not coming over to the house. Like I can just show them I can show all the coolest people in the world and my comics when they come over to the house. Or whatever. That that's where we were. That's where I was at least in the in Fort Thunder. So it was I don't even remember what what were we talking about? I don't know. I'm just gonna uh remind folks I'm talking to Brian Chippendale. Uh right now we've been yakking about Fort Thunder and the comics main comics, Maggots, Ninja and the very new if and oof. Um, we were talking about Fort Thunder and the experiences there, and I guess vibing off each other. When did you first get published then? Was that in the non-number five? Or I guess Paper Rodeo would have been your first thing, right? The bigger thing? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was I was self-publishing, so I started self-publishing that initial Maggot book in, um, in 90, like, I don't know, 96 or 97. I did four issues of that. Hey, dog. Hey, Lou. <laughs> it's dog time. There's three of them. Cutest dogs ever. Hi, Hi. <laughs> dogs and little kids. Um, so I sell. I self-published three maggot books, which is just a fraction of that initial big book. Um, and then there was like the Fort Thunder compilations, like we did Monster Comics and. Matt did... How many monster comics were there? Um, maybe five or six or seven. And they were all pretty low print runs? Yeah, pretty low print runs. You know, maybe, again, my memory is just foggy, I don't remember, maybe a hundred. Generally, everything we did, it was just like, God, if you print more than a hundred covers, you're just, you get pretty bored. So, wow, from now on, I think I'm going to have to be petting a dog while I talk to you. Um... (laughs) But, so yeah, they were all pretty low. Maybe 200 of certain things. I mean, for some of my maggots, I actually did, I think, like 500 copies of the first one because I would just keep printing it. Or the covers were so small, you could print a few. You could print a bunch of the time, so you still wouldn't be doing, like, more than 100 yeah. of a print. So even maggots, like, or even Monster, like, I think I printed the cover for issue two or three, and, uh, again, I probably did about 100 of them, but I might have done three at a time, so maybe there were 300. Um, and then he did, I don't he did like, Matt Brinkman did, what was it, Escape Flotilla? There was like a cool compilation that he did. And I remember Christopher doing like, um, 
like Christopher got introduced to us at some point, like all those guys, either in, you know, I don't know if it was 98 or 99 or 2000 or what, but suddenly we, you know, became aware of. And he was a really young guys. guy in comparison, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I first saw Christopher, um, I think Lightning Bolt played in Worcester, Mass, um, which is, I don't know, close by to Providence, but Massachusetts smaller city it's definitely a city though it's pretty it's like an old industrial town mm -hmm. um, we played in this warehouse there and Christopher's band opened up and it was like total like an emo like hardcore emo band or something <laughs> he was the singer and he was just like you know it, it's like just classic like you know they'd play for like a minute and then he would just give some speech about I don't know what he was Give a speech about you know like people working together maybe or we I, all I gotta support was, each other dudes yeah you know you gotta support the scene and it's like you know life's hard and you gotta you gotta prop each other I, 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 I don't know what he was talking he could have been talking about like not doing drugs he could have been talking about you know I don't remember it was like straight edge rants or like you know don't wear leather rants or <laughs> whatever the rants were about like Christopher <laughs> Christopher had betrayed his <laughs> seventeen-year-old self because he's probably drunk in a leather outfit, you know. Drunk right in a now, leather somewhere. bar right now. Yeah, yeah, drunk in a leather bar right now. <laughs> but um, so yeah, my initial thing was just him, like this is like straight edge, hardcore emo kind of singer. So it was just like I was like, who is this guy? And then uh, you know maybe it was another year before I realized. That was that same guy that I then met again in our house and was doing drawings and giving us all these mini comics and stuff. But he did—I remember he did a compilation called Burning, maybe 2000 or 99, or which was a really cool comic that he did, like a mini compilation. Mm -hmm. And then I flipped a few things, maybe into a couple of the paper radios. Um, and then probably the next. Like the biggest thing of the time was that Marvel, uh, the High Water book. Oh, Marvel. that's right. I forgot about the Cooper Skeever. Yeah, Cooper Skeever. That was probably the biggest thing I'd done. You know, biggest meaning like <laughs> biggest print the run. Shittiest. No. Yeah, biggest print run. I was about to say look the shittiest, but <laughs> uh, yeah, biggest print run. There Most professional. There we go. That was I a Daredevil read... story, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a Daredevil story that no one, no one seemed to like. <laughs> But I just thought it was, and I still think it's a fantastic story. Maybe should have had Daredevil crying in the rain. I know, yeah, maybe. Yeah, right, of course. <laughs> yeah, what, that Hulk story's so smart? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, uh, that's, that's a good, that's a good, that Hulk story's a good story. <laughs> it's just everything I read, everyone just talks about the Hulk story over and over again. I'm like, you know, there's other stuff in there. Yeah, no, story. I know. And then, of course, if someone writes, I think I just read somewhere, like, that just popped, because there was that big Cooper Skeever celebration on all over the place. Yeah. And High Water, I mean High Water Book celebration. Yeah. Did uh, Tom come down to, uh, Tom Devlin, did he come down to Fort Thunder at all? He did. He came down a few times, um, or probably a bunch of times. Yeah, all those guys came down. And, and Tom came down, and he would, like, take our mini-comics back up to Boston and then he would get posters from us and take them up to Boston. So, yeah, he, he became a presence down there. Um, but he didn't hang out, like, 
you know, he didn't hang out. He didn't really come to shows so much. Like, he would just come in between times. He wasn't, he was just a little bit older than us, so he was probably like, wasn't quite, <laughs> wouldn't go quite where we would go or something. He wasn't ready for the he madness. Run, he wouldn't run around with, like, tights and, a, you know, whatever, tied around his head, fangs, and covered in blood, and screaming. He didn't <laughs> want to go there. <laughs> was that the wrestling? Yeah, it was probably wrestling. How or often? whatever. It was funny. I mean, it, Matt, like, Matt's been busy for a couple months, and, like, last night, another of our old roommates, this guy Peter Fuller, was over, and um, another friend who was around back then. So we definitely, you know, occasionally, it's funny to start telling stories from that era. Like, we were talking about just, like, the various, like, the weird people that would wander in there. Like, I remember, like, one night, me and Brinkman were in the kitchen, and there was, like, a year where the front door was broken and it wouldn't lock. So there's some little shame on my um on my shelter. <laughs> so hopefully that one drowns. Yeah, I know how these cell phones kind of drown everything out, but I might have to fight these ones too. Take them down. Um, excuse me, son. I'm doing an interview in this shelter here in the pile it's, of leaves. You'll have to. It's for college radio. To, yeah, it's very important. You'll you'll know you know in 20 years what I'm talking about. Go to college, kid. He's, He's zero years old, this kid. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, we were, I remember this, this was like, I mean, whatever, there's a million of these stories, or at least there's probably 50 of these stories. So, like, standing in the kitchen, it's 3 in the morning, me and Matt Brinkman are, and, like, the front door suddenly opens, and, like, the biggest, most muscly dude I've ever seen just, like, waltzes into our house. <laughs> and he's just like, hey, uh, are you guys selling bikes in here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like shit like that where you're just like you're just like uh like is this the flea market? And we're just like uh dude it's three in the morning, like you can't honestly you, you don't expect us to believe that you're you can't believe that you were in here oh wait, I'm getting another phone call. But yeah, so stuff like that. So we had to like sort of wonder if we we're gonna get the crap kicked out of us or or try to like understand why this guy pretending to want to sell us bikes at 3 in the morning and he wasn't just breaking into our house. Yep. But we had a lot of that kind of stuff, like just weird people wandering in. Like this weird homeless guy came in and like played my drums for half an hour one afternoon, which was kind of funny.
How did drums work for you as far as like a creative outlet in other stuff? Because um, I just had uh, Dave Cooper was up in Vancouver recently, and he was like itching to just find a drum set somewhere just to kind of. Oh unleash. really? Is he a, he, he's a drummer. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I. Uh, how long was he up there for? I wonder how long is how long is. He was only here for like two days, but he was doing like okay. a whole tour up and down uh, from like L.A. up to Vancouver. Okay, I mean it's it's you know it's it's a, it's it's a separate it's just I don't know they they kind of just grew up they were like like my, my my drawing and my drumming sort of just grew up together but in separate rooms or something they're like mm -hmm. siblings <laughs> siblings that hang out but don't talk that much maybe I, it's I don't know I I've, I've tried to make connections between the two before and. uh and I don't necessarily believe any of the things I've ever said about it. I, I mean, drumming for me, almost first and foremost, it's just like a, it's just like a really fun activity, and mm -hmm. it, it's sort of like a, yeah, it's like a really healthy activity. And it's also at this point, it's, it's to some extent my job. So it um it more than anything probably allows me to spend some of the day drawing comics. With but the uh, with the bolt, yeah. I mean, lightning bolt is my main source of income now. So, I, you know, and you know, we practice like an hour, five days a week or something. You know, there's other time spent around that too. But it definitely leaves time to do other stuff. So, what are you guys coming to Vancouver? Wait, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Gosh, who knows? You know, we actually are going out to the west coast in the spring i'll have to check we we just we just got oh my god the kids got some weird weapons now <laughs> uh-oh run so like like one of those like tennis like a like a arm with a cup and a tennis ball stuck in it you could just launch in my face but um it's cool like they're jumping off the top of this thing into this like pile of broken glass <laughs> city city activities inner city life um, yeah inner city life 
I don't know. Yeah, we're going out to the West Coast in, I think, April. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Canada, man. We just went up and played Toronto and Montreal. And it was, you know, it was fine. But it was definitely, there's definitely some bumps in the road, just like crossing the border. And, yeah. You know, they pulled us aside and gave us a lot of shit about some stuff. But but it wasn't too bad. Maybe maybe it's worth it. I, I know some noise kids. That, that love your stuff, so, you know. <laughs> you know, if you want to come up to Vancouver and play in the P-Fill basement for, like, ten of my friends, you should do it, dude. Yeah, no, we... That's, we, that's, that's your offer. We, we, uh, we got the, only the best in P-Filled basements. Only the best. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, maybe, maybe we'll do, yeah, maybe this will be the time to finally come. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we got a booking agent. We, we didn't, I booked everything in the States for most of the tours for the first... I don't know, 13 years, but we finally just, I finally just got overwhelmed and the two of us decided to start working with this booking agent. So I'll have a talk, talk with the booking agent. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. Now, what was the, uh, let's jump into, is there any way you can get away from that kid? <laughs> I think he'll probably move, move on. He's trying to get the dog that's across the park Come the dog's again. not coming, kid. The, the dog's, dog's not, not coming. coming. Okay, he's, he's, he's going to the dog. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I could move. I'm just, if I get out of this little shelter, I might get wind sounds. So. Is that any? Is that changing? It's not really too much. There's a little... Okay, you can hear the street up. sounds, but... Well, probably, we'll try it for a minute, and if it seems bad, then I can head back into the... It must be cold where you are. It might what? It must be a little cold. Well, yeah. It, I mean, it has generally been cold, but today is gorgeous. I think it's in the fifties, and I'm kind of—I just moved into a sunbeam, so. There we go. Um, yeah, it's it's been gorgeous today. I think all weekend it's supposed to be really nice. Well, it's a good time for a chat in the park, then. I know, totally good time. I think I'm in the last, kind of in the. Yeah, the sunbeams are fading for the day, but I, I found one. There we go. I'm just gonna do another quick reminder. I'm talking to Brian Chippendale. Uh, creator of Maggots, Ninja, and the brand new If and Oof. Um, no, If and Oof. Is it If and, if and Oof? Is that the way I should say it? Yeah, I think so. If and Oof. Yeah, his name's Oof. It's, it's a I'm very, really excited to have, to have... Wait, what? I was going to say, it's a very Canadian-sounding name. Oof. Oh, I guess it kind of is, isn't it? Oof. Yeah. Oof. How about that, eh? <laughs> it's fun, because I actually have found myself saying that, like, like I'll run into something, you know, in the dark and go, oof. <laughs> like I actually, I actually do use that word. So, Post I, 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 I did it. I, I made up a character and people have to say his name. Oof. Oof. No. Ouch, oof. It's a big switch for you, eh? That book. It is a big switch. But, but it, it's not, it's like a big switch that came in like a, little way or something like all my comics have it's I'm, I'm like a real slow progressor kind of in everything I do like things evolve slowly over time and it it really again, I guess it seems maybe striking after Ninja and definitely after Maggots but I mean Maggots was done what 13 years ago or something mm -hmm. and then and then if if you you know if you look at some of the original drawings for if 
they look like kind of ninja pages, like it's small frames, and it it like you know it, it was sort of a happy accident that I started making them go page after page like that, like panels, just one per page. So for me, it was like a real, it was like a real, it just sort of made sense. It was just part of the, the same kind of process. But it definitely has a different vibe. Is are the is that the original size of the art, or is it smaller or bigger? It's smaller. Most of the art is smaller. I mean, there's some drawings in If Enough that are actually the size of like a ninja panel. Like oh, the wow. initial, the initial drawings for If Enough, um, like the, I made some I made some mini comics. There's like five issues of like an If Enough mini comic um, that are tiny. They're like two inches by like an inch and a half, and that was a Size ripped off from Matt Brinkman because he was making these pocket comics or something back I don't know like 2000 and I like as with everything I do I just ripped off Brinkman and I made an I mean I think in like around 2000 I made If Enough like a mini comic and I I think I just went to Kinko's with the intention to like you know make a rip off version I think I was even going to try to pass it off as a Brinkman comic <laughs> to try to lower <laughs> To try to like lower his standards so people would be like, "Well, did you get the new Brinkman comic? It kind of sucks. <laughs> it looks like shit." But I went. To, I think I went to Kinko's, and I just sort of, you know, made up two characters and made a little story, all there, and it probably took about twenty minutes. And it was like the front of an eight and a half by eleven and the back of an eight and a half by eleven, and then you cut it up and whatever, and mm-hmm. and you have this like tiny little thing. So. And then that that size carried on. Like just a couple of years ago, I started making some more, like kind of just more if enough and adventures. And then when I got to, I did like issues two through five, maybe two and a half years ago or something. And then when I got to issue six, I was just like, okay, issue six. Like I want to, like they're going to meet these robot boys or something. Maybe even they meet a couple, or they were going to go to the ro- robot boys house and I was kind of making fun again to bring Christopher back into the picture like the robot boys and if and if all live in boys boysville boyville yeah they live in boyville mm. and um and Christopher's house for a little while was called boys town so I was kind of roughly making initially making fun of like Christopher and I saw the little thing with their their power, whatever it was. I forget the power something. Well, yeah, that's another. That was actually a late addition. I mean, I mean, the idea of power items was early, but when I I kind of changed the spelling to, yeah, to a little shout out. There's actually there's also a character. There's a Ben Jones and Christopher character in there that are also boys. They're the first two to get killed in the battle at the end, but <laughs> it's like one of the guys from Power Masters and then. I don't remember where the Ben Jones guy's from somewhere. I know, I think it was in Ninja, There's a tu- or is it Maggots, there's a Tux Dog appearance. Somewhere. Um, that's in Ninja. Ninja has Tux Dog. Ninja has, like, a Leaf Goldberg character in there. I like, yeah, there's stuff. I steal stuff all the time. That's okay. I like it. Yeah, it's, a, you know, it's, 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 it's all, I guess it's all fair game so you get sued for it, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't think I don't your friends steal, will be suing you. I don't steal. I don't steal from the big guys. I only steal from the little guys. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, so so I was making so I got the issue six of this these mini if and ifs, and I don't know what happened. I think I just I was like plotting out issue six, and I sort of plotted out this like three thousand page book or something. And I was like, oh Jesus, what am I going to do? I I literally remember like I think I drank like some extra caffeinated tea that night or something, and I just drew this. I just wrote down all these plot points I wanted to hit, and then I was looking at the thing, and I was like, oh my god, this is like thousands of pages. And and so that's sort of where the story. It wasn't supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be just like another joke issue that was like thirty pages long. But and it just kept going, and going. It just kept going, and it you know, and then as I made it, it kept going some more, and you know that that story that's in if enough is like the piece of this larger story. Because as I was doing it, because it suddenly became this one panel per page book. I had to adapt. I realized that, like, the normal solutions for how I did my pacing, I had to kind of adapt it to this new way of reading it to make it satisfying. Because, I mean, I'll do a ninja page. or Yeah, in the old ninja page, it would be like there's 50 panels, and, you know, some of the pages, like, very little happens. And definitely if you go back to Maggot, like, you know, there's you'll go through 50 pages that have, 20 panels on them and very little happens. It's just a guy so moving suddenly, from one chair yeah, to another. Guy moving. Yeah, so I realized, like, with the if enough stuff, after a little while, it's just like, oh, my God, if, if each panel is so inconsequential, suddenly I've done 200 pages and, like, nothing has happened at all. So I, I did, as I did that book, I sort of, I, I learned a new process to kind of make that feel satisfying for me. I almost feel like you were able to let go with this book. Like you, you kind of, without having to like work on your, you know, slowed down comic storytelling, you were able to just jump around a lot more and have a lot more fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I could just do. I could kind of. I mean, they're they're both fun for different reasons. Like I've been doing. I've been doing this. This maybe you've seen like the pu- puke force. I have this new web comic, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is um. You know, more like ninja style, just like the sneaking frames. And, although it's still like the panels are actually a little bigger than ninja, and it's a little... It's a lot more readable than ninja. It's a lot more readable. Yeah, it is. Although I just put a couple of the newest episodes I think are less readable. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I'm, you know, again, it's another learning pro. I'm starting to figure out what that is about. But they're... It's, they're both just fun for different reasons like doing a page with a lot of panels is really fun on some level but doing doing this long drawn out story where you you know you're sticking to one or you know kind of one story it, it was they're just they're both satisfying on different levels I want to I want to try to do both I'm curious oh go ahead I was going to say for the first time ever though I definitely I used to just kind of have one mode of working on these comics, and now suddenly I, I see the potential for uh, like other modes. <laughs> I got, and I, I never even again it never occurred to me like like plotting out a whole comic or something like before you go or as you go. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't there yet. I didn't want to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And now I, like at the completion of Ninja, because about halfway through I started plotting more stuff out, and then by the end it was like scripts and and you know real definitive places I wanted to go and 
you know, visualizing how I wanted to get there and stuff. Like, so, yeah, it was it's more of a kind of learning experience. One thing I found with your work, and uh, really bluntly honest, is is it it's up to this book. It's very challenging to read. Right. Um, you know, and that that's very honest. Like it, it's difficult comicking. Maybe I don't know if that's the word I'm necessarily looking for. Like same with like the music. It's it's a challenge to listen to. Like it's abrasive. It's rough. The comics. What what do you get out of making work challenging? <laughs> Um. Yeah. What do I get out of it? Or I what? Mean, what? I, do you, what? What's? Is there a root? I think. I think my work and my music and all that stuff has been defined by. I've moved back. I'm moving back into the shelter. I think my work has been defined more by. I know. I'm. I'm not in control so much. Like I'm not in control of. Um. 
I'm kind of like more. It's like like energy first, and I don't know everything else second, or skill second, or control second, or something like. I've like when I started doing maggots way back in the beginning, like I wanted to sit down and write a script and draw a comic, but I like couldn't, and I was just like, but I didn't try that hard. I was just like, I can't do this. I'm gonna do what I can do. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, since then, it's been this slow evolution of. I'm gonna do what I can do. I just have to do it. Yeah. Like if I if I hit a wall, you know, if, if I want to try to plot something out, or if I want to try to draw something big, or if I want to try to communicate a certain idea, and I hit a wall, and it means I'm not drawing comics, then you know, completing whatever that task is isn't as important as just drawing comics or something. So I, they've all it's they've my comics have always been kind of. I don't know, defined by just, I don't know, like the, my, the set of abilities and my attention and it, it's just like kind of what I can do. It's like defined by my sort of retardations or something. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Like I'm not, I'm just not, I don't know, I'm, I'm not quite, I don't quite, I'm not a master of my skills or something, so I just... I'm just sort of I'm struggling to just like make it happen and I'm setting up these systems to just make sure it gets done because whenever I try to do something the normal way for the most part so far it's just like I get frustrated and I don't want to be frustrated I want to be drawing comics Mm -hmm. so well I was talking to a friend about the comics and about like how difficult like difficulty in reading them and it's also the part about me that was like you know it's good like I'm being challenged by the comic you know I could sit down and read a Brian Michael Bendis comic which would be like eating candy or I could sit... <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, right. it's, it's I just, just no, it, it just it, it comes down easy like you know it's not I, I'm not having to think while I'm reading it yeah you know it's like watching Marie Povich right where with this it's more like you know I'm having to take it in different ways and take time with it and kind of try and understand where everything is going. Yeah. I think, I mean, I have a hard, like when people offer me up, when I get some comic or somebody, you know, I see something and it's challenging, like I have a hard time with it too. I mean, my form of challenging is something that I can read, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. It somehow like lends itself to the way my brain works. But like other people's forms of challenging, I'm just like, oh god, like why? <laughs> why did you do this? Like if somebody sent, handed me a snake reading thing, I'd probably just be like, oh, oh god, why? You know, not, and not because they're copying me or something. It's more like, oh, why don't you just make this <laughs> readable? What's your problem? So I, again, it's. But I also think I think that the systems that I set up do. I mean, they are you know they are partially defined by like just like building on inex- like making you know making a skill set based out of inexperience or something like they are partially that but they are I also think there's systems that if you do take the time to apply yourself to them like they do work and they also and they also are very much about you know drawings on paper and comics and panels and frames I think that they I think that they do lend themselves to the medium, too. So maybe, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I won't, I'm not going to say that I'm not totally in control. Like, I am in control. But it, it was built up from, like, a naive point of view, which in my drumming is the same way. Like, I'm not, I wasn't, like, taught anything. It's just, like, 
it's just like a whole lot of enthusiasm and a whole lot of time and just building you know building a whole skill set out of probably all the wrong information or something it's like it's like years and years of bad behavior reinforced <laughs> <laughs> so you create like a whole that vocabulary i mean my in a weird way my whole life is that like well i mean you know, there's dropping out of it, it there's interesting ways where people have taken stuff where they've you know set it up different and just kind of gone with that like um yeah sonic youth has I mean, weird tuning to their guitars and you can hear it yeah. like you can't play a sonic youth song unless you tune your guitar weirdly because maybe at some point glenn branca said hey tune your guitar like this and then they just did it they just did it yeah <laughs> you know and it's just I mean, like, like chris you know chris ware didn't you know, I think he probably arrived at his whole situation. I, I, I'm not a Chris Ware scholar by any means, but, <laughs> you know, I, I'm assuming that, like, that, it's, that's not, like, complete mastery of craft. There's definitely some, like, he's just a weird dude, you know, mixed in there. So it's, it's like, he, you know, it's, it's like highly personal stuff and all those strangenesses just kind of come out and I don't know. I think there's something to be... Reinforced. There's something to be said for intuitiveness. Yeah. For for allowing your work to to work and not having to force it to work or yeah push it in and direction that you're not comfortable with. Figure out yeah where your interests lie and trying to not you know not not like look at the you know and, and of course it's, it's it sounds reasonable just being like yeah there's there's a successful way of doing comics like. And you should strive for that, and you know you should read Marvel comics or read something <laughs> like that, and strive to draw like. Cause, you know, when I was like in, when I was a little, you know, my initial sketchbooks were just like drawings of superheroes. Like I definitely wanted, I wanted that when I was a kid. Is that part like, of I why copied. you, why you dress up in Lightning Bolt? <laughs> I don't know where. Again, yeah, maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably an influence. Yeah, sure. But there's a certain festivity that is in comics and in, I don't know, all sorts of different older things, too. Mm -hmm. The mix of comics, Mardi Gras, and Samurais, and looking at National Geographic. There we go. Uh, in your work, uh, it all seems to be in the same world. When did you kind of figure out that you were kind of everything? You wanted to connect everything. Has it always uh, been kind of there together? I think it's always kind of been there together. Since starting that, like in 93 or so, like since starting the maggot stuff that took place in this basically just black place or dark place, that, you know, that graduated to the maggots that Dan published, which was even darker. I mean, like, the early maggots weren't quite so, like, that was the pinnacle of just really <laughs> coloring everything black. But, um, I don't know, I just thought it just became fun to make connections. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I've always been in a story like that, like, I don't know, even, again, like, old comics where, like, they just had this chronology where everything was kind of, you know, the Marvel Universe or something, but also just, like, just worlds that people have made, like living in J.R. Tolkien's world, or just living in these different fantasy worlds, and it just it seemed kind of easy. Like I, I mean, I have actually visualized, and and this is just not 
let in probably whatsoever, but that like maggots, the whole entire thing takes place on this planet and the sun is gone. And so the outside of the planet is totally dark. And then there's these different layers. And as you go down, like the stuff that was published in non way back took place in this place called the grasslands where it's like this grassy area. And then there's like a huge mountain range and then there's a, a desert area. And that's, that's where the ninja city takes place. And then behind some more mountains is, like, where if enough are hanging out in this crater. And, like, there was this... So I, I, I have, I've like, visualized all these connections. And they're really not... I mean, you know, if they'll ever come into play... Like, in, in, if enough do... They do reference, like, the city from Ninja in, on one or two occasions. And, and actually, in the new Pew Force, like, a character from if enough just made a little appearance... And I think like Galactic um, Crap works in there too, isn't? Yeah, some Galactic of the Crap works in there. Yeah, a couple of characters. But actually, Galactic Crap takes place on a spaceship that's left the planet. So that's oh, okay. that's that's pretty separate, but it does tie in. Like a couple of the characters show up in Ninja. I think. Yeah, they, like, like the. Is they, it like, the it, I can't remember which guys. Too many comics the in two days. Yeah. yeah, at the very end, there's, like, a gang walking kind of in the desert or whatever outside the city. These kind of, kind of like, sort of kids or something. And they um, and two of the characters show up who were from Galactic Crap. And I think it explains in Galactic Crap that maybe they were, like, looking at a painting of a desert and they got, like, sucked in or something. I don't know. So, yeah, stuff crosses over. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. And then If and Oof references uh, the Green City. Yeah, because Grain is a big city that's like just li- like literally behind some mountains. Like it, at, when I was outlining this whole if enough thing, there was like this whole landfill that they were gonna get to that's like way up in the north. Which you know, I, I would like to if I can really control myself and try to keep more of these books. I'd like them to get to these other places. But basically, like Grain's been dumping all its garbage into this crater as well. So there's like this whole landfill that. And actually, it gets referenced for a second because, like, in if enough, they're like in this. Um, it's like a bed and breakfast. It's called, but it's sort of like this artist loft-looking place in the beginning. And there's a letter from the person that owns the bed and breakfast, and he talks about having to go get a job at the fill, I think, <laughs> which is the landfill, which is where Drain's been dumping its trash in the north. So yeah, everything. I mean, there's just. And actually, there you know they talk about there's like little references I. Think to the nine, which are like these sort of gods in Ifinus, and they are actually referenced a little bit in Ninja Two for a moment. So yeah, there's like a I kind of have this a broader picture of this stuff. Now my big question then is, when are we going to see the map? The map? The map? You know, like you see, <laughs> like, like the, the whole thing, the middle, the the Middle Earth map. Where are we going to see the yeah. uh, the the grain it's, map? It'll 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 come. I, I almost put a map. I love I love books with maps, so I almost put a map in if enough. But then I was, I mean, kind of the whole point is that like you, they don't know where they are, so like you kind of shouldn't know where you are either. But I do love maps. But yeah, yeah, the great map, great did, map will come. <laughs> did you ever get into uh, Final Fantasy, the video game? I played. I I played a couple couple. Fantasy games, and I played Final Fantasy Seven. Maybe what was a good one? I think it, it was one really. 
Yeah, I played seven, PlayStation Two. Basically, I think someone dropped off PlayStation Two at our house for a few months, and I just sat down for those few months and played that game. Like every like four years, some video system will show up in my house, and I'll sit down for a month and get like really into something. I kind of feel like that there's a taste of it in there somewhere, Final Fantasy in your work, just in that. That like, makes sense. That world building, wandering thing. Yeah, Final Fantasy is amazing. God, Final Fantasy VII was just, like, amazing. They go to that kind of arcade land. Like, me and Brinkman played that back in Fort Thunder for a little while. And, you know, what also had a big influence just on stuff I did in general was I played Legend of Zelda. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was one of the games I sat down and played. I mean, I played it when I was a kid on the, God, I don't know, who knows, whatever the first system was, just Nintendo. With the gold... uh... The gold cartridge? Yeah, the gold cartridge. Yeah. But that didn't necessarily inspire my imagination. Like, I think the later... Like, I think I played another one in 98 or 99, whatever that one was. The one on the uh, N64, was it? Yeah, maybe. I think. No, it might have been even PlayStation... When was PlayStation coming out? Was that out? You wouldn't, it wouldn't have been on Zelda's on Nintendo. Okay. Oh, yeah. right. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Nerd. Nerd. I'm a nerd. You know this stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's my job. <laughs> yeah, but whatever it was that that had because um like in in Legend of Zelda they had this mask shop where they went and then like at some point I started making ma- like I I started making these paper masks for some art shows and building these houses that were kind of mask shops and it wasn't yeah I maybe it was straight up I just lifted it out <laughs> of Zelda yeah I guess so that's all but right I loved I loved Zelda oh my god I think Zelda more than anything probably kind of changed some stuff for me fine fine video games well I think um I've probably taken up tons of your time here Brian yeah we're getting dark yeah it's probably (laughs) gonna get real cold there real quick Uh, it's gonna get cold really (laughs) get home oh my god I'm gonna die out here (laughs) I you know watch out for the I I just have to get over this highway and down the hill and then I can get to my house just watch out for uh, packs of wild dogs. Yeah, the most of the dogs are gone. Oh nope, there's four dogs over there. <laughs> oh, two dogs in those bushes over there.